Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. And it is the time of year for the Two for One Drafts podcast. The regular season is over. It is time to go into full draft season. We're going to do some reactions to the college football playoff, talk about the open GM and head coaching jobs in the NFL, break into Mike Renner's latest 2021 NFL mock draft for all 18 teams or 18 picks that are locked in for the 2021 NFL draft in our classic Rolling Rooks segment. And I got to tease this one. We interviewed Calvin Ridley and Dave Brock, the Atlanta Falcons wide receivers coach, at the tail end of the podcast. A fantastic episode to start draft season. Let's get it. Mike Renner in the flesh, replacing Anthony Tresh. Unnecessary oh. rhyme, but here we are. I, I missed you, man. Anthony's great, by the way. PFF underscore Anthony. Follow him on Twitter. Listen to the last two episodes. It's fantastic on the podcast. But I missed you, man. I'm glad yes. to have you back. No, it's glad to be back. I needed that little break because this is it today. This is the time. It is the beginning, officially, in my eyes, of draft season. Absolutely. My favorite season of the year. I am, I am stoked for it, man. I, I think this is going to be an absolute fire draft season. The quarterback conversation, a very good wide receiver class. This is In the offseason, I think it's going to be hectic, too. A lot of teams need to make upgrades at the quarterback position. There's, what, six open head coaching gigs, five head open GM gigs. This is going to be a fantastic offseason. And you're starting it right with a dry January. Before the podcast, you were saying, yeah, I might look into getting unalcoholic or non-alcoholic six-packs. Yeah. Lagunitas. They don't have any calories either, apparently, which I don't know how that works. I don't think it's just actually drink like water. That's oh, I was just going to say that's water. <laughs> it might no be. calories, no sugar, no, no alcohol. flavor, no alcohol. That's, yeah, that's water. just drink water, dude. I would actually. So it was actually ironic. I was looking through Darius Slayton's tweets today because he was pissed off about the Eagles, whatever yeah. debacle, which we should probably talk about a little as well. Yeah. Um, and he was like pimping out non-alcoholic Budweiser. He's like, I guess sponsored has like a oh partnership with them. And I was like, why is that such a weird to get an NFL player to be tweeting about dry January is kind of weird. But yeah, I might I might down some non-alcoholic Budweiser. I will not be doing. I should, I'll, dry I'll have January. one on the pod on Wednesday. Really? Yeah, there we go. Let's yeah, go. Bring, bring me pod. one too. Actually, I'll try yeah. one. I'll try one. We'll see if Lagunitas, the non-alcoholic side, can sponsor the podcast. Let's before we dive into. Um, the college football playoff reactions. If you want to talk about the Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz, Nate Sudfeld saga that broke down or the events that broke down in week 17, I think people are overreacting to this. I will say it right now. I think people are overreacting to this across the board. Yes. That that 1,000,000% yes. One, if any team has a gripe over the occurrences of what happened yesterday, it is the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts have a legitimate gripe because they could have won yesterday, which they did, mm-hmm. handled their business, and gotten screwed because the Browns played a Steelers team without Ben Roethlisberger starting, and the Dolphins played a Bills team that sat down Josh Allen halfway through the game. Now, the Dolphins shit the bed, and they choked, and they had their worst game of the season easily on both sides of the ball, but they, they could have actually gotten screwed because two teams that you know were playing better teams than them got lucky by having to face those games in Week 17. Uh, the Giants, on the other hand, after having won six games this season, did not get screwed by anyone. And the Eagles are well within their rights 
to not play, to not give their best roster out there and to not try to win a Week 17 game Mm -hmm. that they didn't want to win. That if you're thinking about the future, you legitimately do not want to win that game. So I, I think that if you're going to condone one, you have to condone all of them. And you have to say that Patrick Mahomes should have played yesterday, that Josh Allen should have played the full game yesterday, that all these guys, that you can't sit those guys in week 17. Because if that matters, if it matters to, if it should matter to the Eagles is kind of the argument, then it should matter to all those teams as well. The, the Giants situation or the Eagles situation is interesting because they obviously don't want to win that football game. They yeah. win that game. They pick at number nine. If they lose that game, they pick at number six. six. It's not and that big of a deal. Is it a little bit of, with, yeah, with the quarterback but, class? I think but it yes, is a big but deal. It, but in this one, I think it's it matters. It with, is meaningful. With the quarterback class, I think this is a big deal for the for the Philadelphia Eagles. For the Giants, the Giants players complaining on Twitter that Nate Sedville come in. You should have won two or three more games, and you have that division outright. I, I do think that the Eagles-Washington football team game was one of the more interesting ones. I don't think they needed to see or evaluate Nate Sudfeld on those last three drives to understand that he's not the quarterback of the future. It's an interesting excuse. I don't think they needed to do that. The other interesting game that I do think is that Miami Dolphins game, where Brian Flores, I think, had coach of the year all locked up, had to show up against a Buffalo Bills team that didn't need to win that game, was going to bench or seemingly bench Josh Allen after he cleared 40 passing yards and got the single-season franchise record. He ends up playing a little bit longer than that, but they still get absolutely trounced. They played down to the competition, and it wasn't even close. This yeah. wasn't a Browns-Jets game where the Browns kept it close but ended up losing in the end. This was like an absolute demolishing for the Miami Dolphins, an unfortunate situation, and now they're on the outside looking in at the postseason. They absolutely absurd. Points and and another, I think a similar situation... And I, I just want to recap the NFL season or NFL Week 17 with this game as well. Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals went against John Wolford and the Los Angeles Rams and lost that football game. Yes, Kyler Murray better. didn't play. That that is part of it. But I do think you have to show up and try and be put a better effort to win that football game. In my opinion, even without Kyler Murray, they're playing their backup quarterback as well. I will say this though, Roger Sherman. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. He works for the Ringer. Tweeted this out as soon as like Strebler came in, the backup that played for Arizona. He had the worst touchdown interception ratio in the Canadian Football League before going to the NFL. And on his way to a Grey Cup, was benched for the backup quarterback who ended up winning that Grey Cup. I don't know how he made it. I don't know how he made it to the I NFL. It's because he's got that sweet picture of him holding the whatever their the trophy yeah, is the called. Tro- yeah, yeah, the, the Grey Cup trophy, where he's like got the cowboy hat on and he's got the cigar and it's, they just it went around. Where just liked him. You yeah. just liked the guy. I mean, he seems cool. He does seem cool. I'm not. I'm not Quinn. I'm not saying he doesn't seem cool. He seems awesome. It's a Canadian guy. Won the Grey Cup as a backup with the worst touchdown interception ratio. <laughs> is now in the NFL playing in Week 17. Not because you know the Cardinals are resting their starters. They didn't earn that right. Because Kyler Murray exits that game with an injury. All right, enough of the NFL. Week 17 is crazy. Don't overreact to teams actively tanking. I think the best response is one you tweeted out saying that you should be, they're in the same situation as teams that were resting their stars for the postseason. Yeah. They're trying to win a Super Bowl. Not this year, obviously, yeah. but in the, in the future, they're trying to win a Super Bowl. And that starts with having the best draft capital possible. And that, again, is, results in a loss of playing Nate Sudfeld late in the fourth quarter. I also think the other tweet that I liked is we're going to talk about you know, him benching Jalen Hurts, who wasn't playing all that well anyway for Nate Sudfeld, and not talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars playing Mike Glennon for four weeks. <laughs> like, that's another situation where you see... Yeah, um, it's it just so happened to be Sunday Night Football primetime yes, week 17. Yes, Teams have made decisions that are not in their best interest mm-hmm. a lot throughout NFL history. I also think Doug Peterson was right to go for that fourth down. 
when they could have tied it up at 17-17. They should have gone for that fourth down. I believe in what PFF hands NBC in terms of the math that suggested that was the better choice and win probability to go for that fourth down. The problem is is when you go for it on fourth down and you don't get it, the issue is never the execution. The issue is always the decision. Why is that? Why isn't the issue that Jalen Hurts missed an open receiver in the end zone? Or even on the play before, missed an open receiver in the end zone. Yeah. That, or even when they get stuffed, like QB sneak on fourth and one, they don't get it. It's like, oh man, that was a terrible call. Why is it never the execution? I don't understand that. Yeah, and I think it's because people hate and math. It's, and it's funny though when it's it's the opposite when it's a kick. Like they decide to kick a fifty-five yard field goal. Oh, it's the kicker's fault. That's a very good take. That's a very good take. He's like kicker misses. It's like, oh my god, Cody Parkey sucks. Yeah, it's like no. How come it wasn't a decision to kick the field goal in the first place, which also has some probabilities of missing? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much. I think people just love to hate on analytics and the quote-unquote spreadsheets. But there were some really bad takes on Twitter last night about that decision, in my opinion. I think there were some bad takes. All right, college football playoff reactions. Let's start with Alabama-Notre Dame. You're wearing the Notre Dame t-shirt today, I guess, out of mourning, like you're going to a funeral. It was absolutely horrendous. Never. This is the Notre Dame. They, they are who we thought they were. Play the clip. The Bears are who we thought they were. And that's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Thank you, Quinn. Thanks for playing that. They, they are who we thought they were. Notre Dame was a bad football team with an mm. underperforming okay. quarterback that had a couple hot spots, had a couple hot starts, and then played poorly against Alabama, and Alabama trounced them. They were not okay. I, I people asked me how I thought the game was going to go. I thought it was going to go the way it went. Mm-hmm. I thought Notre Dame was going to slow down Alabama's offense to some degree. Like they weren't just going to get blown the doors off, but you can only slow down Alabama's offense a little. Like they're still going to score in the 30s. I don't care who they're playing this year. Best defense in college football. I don't care who it is. They will score points because that's how talented they are offensively. They did that job, like holding them to 31. That was their lowest point total all season. I think by eight points. Like I think those. They they did that job. They just they were never Ian Book was never going to be able to score thirty plus points against this Alabama defense. Yeah. There, that's where you have to. That's where if you're going to beat Alabama, and I think Ohio State has a chance of beating Alabama. You have to win a shootout, and Notre Dame just does not have the horses to win shootouts. So even the when they total, beat Clemson, they scored twenty seven in the in twenty seven points offensively uh, in that game. I think the, the total regulation. right now, the line for the Alabama Ohio State game is like seventy five. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's going to be shootout. It's going to be a shootout for Ian Book. uh, Starting with the Clemson game in technically NCAA Week Ten, you're in the best game of his, you know, best single game grade of the season, eighty-five point four. Went on a streak. Went on a streak against Boston College, North Carolina, and Syracuse in the three subsequent weeks with eighty-three plus PFF grades. And the two weeks after that, the two losses to Clemson, Alabama, sixty point five and fifty-five point four. That's the Ian Book we know. That's the Ian Book that when going into that game against DJ Ongalele, like, oh man. Worst quarterback in this situation. Don't think they pull out this win. Yeah. He had a hot streak. He got hot, faded down the end, and I think that's ultimately why that Notre Dame offense couldn't win in a shootout with Alabama. Every year, I feel like the Senior Bowl invites one of those guys to it, where it's like one guy that's kind of just a name to to get to get that fan base in, almost like a lifetime achievement award mm-hmm. to get that guy in. Because Ian Book, if he gets drafted, I will be absolutely floored. That is just he does not have the arm playing the NFL, and he does not have. The quick decision making at all like that's the thing that kind of everyone swept over he does not throw with anticipation whatsoever in that offense which kind of reminds kill, which me kills of, him it's like that's like a death knell for a quarterback if you have a weak arm you don't throw anticipation you're not playing in the nfl he kind of reminds me of from a success standpoint maybe not exactly from a play style 
perspective, but from a success at the collegiate level at a big school, Connor Cook, who I think still holds like the all-time winningest record for Michigan State and started there for multiple years and had some success in Michigan State, but was never a legitimate prospect, right? But then he ends up going high in the third round for some of the successes how? that he did have. He did, but yeah. I think the Raiders traded up for him, actually. That in that in that draft, I'm not 100 percent sure, but from a from a collegiate success, from a wins and losses perspective, mm-hmm. Ian Book and Connor Cook are probably held in the same regard. But from an actual draft prospect draft prospects perspective, Ian Book day three potentially, depending on how he performs at the Senior Bowl, maybe. Jumping to Ohio State, Clemson, this was a stunner, an absolute stunner, and I want to talk prospects too, more than just why each team mm-hmm. lost a football game. But Clemson had seven drives in the first half, the last drive expired uh, in the second half and they didn't like they weren't pushing to score the football four of their six first drives they went three and out that is how you go down 35 in the first half or get allow Ohio State to put up 35 in the first half they allowed big plays on defense Seth wrote a really really good article for pff.com talking about how Justin Fields was absolutely manipulating the middle of a field safety for Clemson but um I think offensively Clemson just laid an egg. Like, and I don't think it was completely Trevor Lawrence's fault. He had the bad dropped interception that should have been a pick, and it was awful. One of the worst throws this season, mm-hmm. and a couple of bad fumbles when he was pressing to get back in this game. But I don't think it was an awful game for Trevor Lawrence. I don't think his stock is dropping at all. I just think it was a really bad offensive performance for Clemson, specifically in the first half when they got into that hole, and then overall just an absolutely atrocious defensive performance where Justin Fields had a literal field day yeah. against Clemson. No, I think Brett Venables had one of his worst coach games I've seen from him, the DC for they just they weren't getting lined up in time mm-hmm. they weren't getting their like they were busting coverages left and right it was pretty brutal but the real kind of story of the game was Tony Elliott being out the Clemson offense coordinator yes. being out with COVID exactly and their play calling was some Horrendous. of the worst I I've seen in like legitimate play usually when you're at home like after the game it's easy to be like oh the play calling was bad just when the offense didn't go well there were plays where you can point to that are like any offensive coordinator that's worth a damn would not have run those plays when they're going back-to-back quarterback counters with Trevor Lawrence instead of letting him throw on like second and shorts and when you're down in the third quarter that's absurd going play action when you're down 28 Mm -hmm. is never like no one's buying that and they got almost sacked twice on those the matchup to me though that side this game was not Ohio State's offense versus Clemson's defense because I think if things went better for Clemson they could have they could have won a shootout like they could have yeah. put up that many points. It was Clemson's offensive line against Ohio State's defensive line that again has some legitimate prospects on it. Tyreek Smith went to town. Jonathan Cooper went to town. Tommy Togi close enough went to town on that Clemson offensive line. That Clemson offensive line really outside of Jack Carmen, none of those guys are going to be playing the league. It's just not a talented offensive line right now. There, there's three prospects or, or four prospects I want to talk about coming out of these two two games yeah one is justin fields let's talk about him when we get to the mock draft mm-hmm. two is Devonte smith which i think we can have that conversation in the mock draft as well the other two i think are sean wade or i guess it's just three i think it's just three i think it's just those three sean wade is the other guy i want to talk darian about. kendrick too and darian kendrick sean wade earned a 52.0 pff grade in this game he has not had a good season at outside corner for Ohio State. And I think some of that you can blame on the abbreviated offseason going from slot corner to outside corner in a man-heavy system. It was not going to be easy for him to have a ton of success this year. But I do think that his ability to match and mirror corners on the or match and mirror receivers on the outside is not there not to the level where you'd want to draft him as an outside corner in the first round. I don't think he's next in line at Ohio State to be this first round cornerback prospect mm-hmm. anymore. No, I agree. He's just I don't I don't think he will end up in the first round anymore. 
Uh, I still like his box slash slot safety prospects. I think he, I think he played safety. at a high level at that position in 2020. It yeah. still wasn't perfect, but I think he played at a much higher level there than he did mm-hmm. at outside corner. And for that reason, top of day two, even middle of day two, with the guy who I think he's a former five-star, former four-star recruit, whatever it was, I do think there's enough there to have a very productive starter. And I'll say starter because slot and box starts in the NFL at the top of day two or the middle of day two. Yeah, I think teams are evaluating, going to have to just look at him as a safety at this point. He, he allowed for 100, what, 143 yards in that game. Teams are going to have to look at him as a safety. And Cornell Powell was yeah, just putting I mean, he, he was just not able to play man coverage on the outside. That's just not where you're going to look at him at. Uh, Kendrick's the one that's interesting to me, though, because this is the first real wide receiver he kind of faced all season. Clemson has not faced a lot of dynamic passing offenses in the ACC. I think they skirted around North Carolina, is that right, mm-hmm. this season? So no Diami Brown on his schedule. Four targets, 122 yards. Now I think he got a little victimized by the fact that their safeties were out to lunch that whole game and he had no help, but still got ran past by Chris Olave. Like that's not a good sign when Chris Olave is separating from you down the field because his – his whole game is not speed. No, no one's ever called yeah, him, yeah. you know, a speedster. Even though I do think he's playing fast enough for the NFL, but Darren Kendrick, he cost himself some dollars with that. Gave up fifty-six yards to Chris Olave on that deep one, and then a forty-seven-yard shot to Garrett Wilson as well. Unfortunate stuff for Darian Kendrick in this game. All right, let's move on now to the open GM and coaching jobs. We can move yes. quickly and jump to the mock draft. Everyone tuned in to hear this mock draft, Mike. It's 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 shattering PFF's website right now but let's first start with the head coaching positions we could probably hold these in tandem for where there is opportunity starting with the jacks both the head coaching head coach position and the gm position are open how how attractive are these openings for the jacksonville jaguars and who are some names you like to be in jacksonville all right so i'm gonna power rank the open head coaching positions here right quick oh you're gonna go one through six sir jacksonville to me is the single most attractive head coaching position and the single most attractive GM position because of what they offer from a young talent perspective and the fact that you're going to have Trevor Lawrence quarterback. So to me, they're number one. Chargers are number two for head coaching position. You have Justin Herbert. You have that defense uh, getting guys like Derwin James back next year. Uh, Obviously, you have uh, Joey Bosa there as well. There's just a lot of blue chip type talent. All you really need at this point, offensive line. Texans, number three, just because, again, you have Deshaun Watson. There's a common theme here. If you got a quarterback, that's an attractive head coaching position. There's a lot you can do with a guy like Deshaun Watson. It gives you a high floor. Your floor, they kind of hit the floor this season, though, Texans. Mm-hmm. They, they hit about as low as you can possibly go for a quarterback playing at Deshaun Watson's level. So really the only place they can go is up at this point. So they're number three. Falcons, number four. Again, they have Matt Ryan. And then the Jets at number five in terms of head coaching that I – a position I'd like to go to a lot of holes on that roster and quarterback not as sure a thing as Trevor Lawrence at number one Zach Wilson Justin Fields whoever it may be you're gonna have to they're just they may not hit the ground running and there's a there's a larger bust potential there and that number six Detroit Lions Detroit Lions are kind of purgatory right now with that roster there's not a lot of true blue chip type of talent players cornerstone pieces to that roster at the moment they kind of just have a bunch of guys and so you're going to have to make your money if you go to head coach go to be the head coach of the detroit lions i think i think i'm fine with those rankings where i'd consider a flip is texans and falcons texans up to three and falcons down or 
Texans down to four and Falcons up to three. Okay. Because even though Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Matt Ryan, by, by a mile, he's played outstanding this year. Should have been in the running for MVP if the team didn't lose four games. Like He has been that good for the Houston Texans. But I think the Atlanta Falcons still have a top 10 quarterback in Matt Ryan. They have the number four overall pick in this draft and a ton of pieces. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. I think the offensive line, has they've invested in the offensive line. Jake Matthews still there for the Atlanta Falcons. Defensively, it needs work. There's there's some talent that needs to be added on that side of the football, but I think it's talent that they can add in free agency or the draft. They, I think, I feel are closer to being a dominant team in the NFL than the Texans are. And I think if with coaching... This is a team that a lot of people are on board with and um, to be a playoff team in 2021. See, with the Falcons, though, you're going to have to navigate a quarterback switch within the next three or four years. Like Matt Ryan's 36, I believe, right mm-hmm. now. It's You're going to have to worry about that. With the Texans, if you can survive the next two years of kind of having a shitty roster and being no real way of you know, rejuvenating it, you can... You can coast with Deshaun Watson for the next decade then. You can say, hey, I got this top five quarterback. I'm going to be good at that point. So I do think that that's what swayed it in the Texans. I think that's why the Texans are in a position to be a year early on a coach. Be a year early on a on a younger coach, whether he's from the college ranks or a young offense coordinator, defense coordinator, because they're not going to be good. You know, they're not going to be in a situation they can really add to this roster and free agency or the draft for one or two years. But you have the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Bringing him in and grooming a coach that can establish a legitimate culture in Houston to where when they do have the resources to build up this football team around Deshaun Watson, you have a guy that has now the experience that would be the hottest name in football in the year that you're going to be good, but already on your roster, already making plays for the Houston Texans. I don't think they should target a guy like a win-now type of coach, an older veteran coach. I think they should go young at that position to try and groom a guy, groom a culture in Houston to get to a point where they're competitive with Deshaun Watson in one mm-hmm. to two seasons. That's where I'm standing there. Let's move to GMs now. Rank the GM openings for me. So, obviously, the Chargers don't need a GM. The Chargers uh, don't need a GM, and the Jets don't need a GM. But you add in the Panthers here, who far- fired Marty Herney and the football team here, who just went last season without a GM. They were just like, eh, we didn't need one. So, uh, I- I'll say number one, again, Jacksonville. You have the most cap space in the NFL to work with. You have Trevor Lawrence. You have a ton of picks to work with. It's like a kid in a candy store. It's like John Dorsey when he got the Browns job. That is ideal. Even though today, Shad Khan said he still has final roster control, which... But that quote, I think, got misconstrued. Maybe I think he bit. wanted to be involved. I think he wants to be involved in What's, the picks and yeah. involved in paying the players. I think I saw someone tweet out a kind of a correction or like a um, an added on piece to that quote where it wasn't as bad as like that initial tweet was. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. Okay, fair. Uh, number two, this one a little off the beaten path, but I think the Falcons right now are an interesting team. You got a top pick. You have Matt Ryan. You have a, like you said, a roster that's built to compete right now. I think a shrewd GM, you can get that team to a Super Bowl fairly quickly if you make the right moves and the right picks and whatnot. Then I'll go the Panthers at three. There are pieces there. Uh, again, you have a lot of youth on that roster and I think you have a lot of cap space coming up to get the job done and that it gets pretty bleak here yes the Detroit Lions at number four again you have a you have some nice draft capital to work with in this year's draft but you got a roster that's kind of bereft of talent then I go football team at five because you are really in purgatory in terms of where you're drafting probably going to be 19th overall if they lose this upcoming weekend Mm -hmm. and then you need a quarterback and so that's kind of those They're two screwed. don't really mesh. And then number six is the Texans because I, I don't want Jack Easterby 
trying to convert me uh, in that locker room. I don't want to have no draft picks over the next two years. I, it just, I don't think that that's a GM job that is all that attractive. Even if you got Sean Watson and have some maybe job security with that, I just, you're doing, you're sitting on your hands for two years. The, this is the only order I think you can rank the, the GM openings in. The top three are obvious. Yeah. Jags, Falcons, Panthers. You can maybe argue Falcons versus Panthers, but you'd rather have Matt Ryan in the situation the Panthers are in at quarterback. They might not get one of the top four guys in this class picking at number eight overall. They might be strapped to Teddy Bridgewater in the twenty mm-hmm. in twenty twenty one. For the four, five, six, it's it's pick your poison, and you want the team with the most picks and the most opportunity. I think you go Lions, football team, Texans. For the Texans, for that GM opening, my my opinion there is that they need to. They don't need to bring in a guy that's draft savvy, obviously. He's not going to have an opportunity to draft at the top of the round. You can you can rely on scouts for that. What they do need to do is bring in a guy that's cap, cap savvy. savvy. They need to bring in a guy that Get can address this help. cap situation. Yeah. You know, a GM that comes to mind or a GM candidate potentially that comes to mind that did a really good job in a disastrous cap situation a few years back, Reggie McKenzie for the Raiders. He went into a situation where I think they had the most, the most negative money or dead cap mm-hmm. in, uh, in the NFL and was able to strip that roster and bring it back to fruition. Hit on one draft, 2014, Khalil Mack, Derek Carr, and Gabe Jackson. He even added TJ Carey in that draft too, late in the late in seventh round, who's still a player in the NFL. And then kind of struggled to add pieces beyond that. But still, what he did from a cap perspective was really, really impressive. I don't know if he's the obvious candidate for the Texans, but I do think whatever GM comes in, better be freaking ready to look at this contract situation and find some interesting ways to get out of it and get out of this dead money. Are you ready to mock? I want to mock. I want to mock. All right. You published a mock draft for PFF.com today for just the 18 picks that are locked in. Not going to look at the postseason. We don't know where those teams are picking yet. Just the 18 picks that are locked in. It's live on PFF.com. Just Google PFF mock draft. It'll probably be one of the first things that let's pops hope. up. Or let's you're hope. not doing your job. Right? I'm not doing my job if the SEO is trash. <laughs> um, let's look now at the first pick. It's Jacksonville Jaguars taking quarterback Trevor Lawrence. This isn't a discussion, but I have to bring it up. There are some people after Justin Fields' yeah. performance. Maurice Jones-Drew, you mean? <laughs> Maurice Jones-Drew, Mojo, who was a great running back, by the way. Let's yeah. not throw any Mojo slander on the on the piece no. here. Mojo was a great running back. Yeah. He's tweeting out that the conversation— Underrated also, I believe. What? Like, I think he's underrated in terms of historically. Like, if he goes to a better franchise over the course of his career or, like, a team that won more, we would think about him in a much more favorable light. Like, he would be up there with maybe not Adrian Peterson, but— Wow. Like, he— he was, I mean, he was that talented. The guy ran like a 4.39 at like 215 pounds and was 5'7". He, he, he was a, a monster. monster. Bowling ball. Yeah. He was one of my favorite running backs to watch when I was a kid, when I still valued the position, you know. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I still, uh, no, I didn't I know we were getting onto this them. podcast and giving Mojo praise. I thought it was going to be more, more, uh, more negative than that. But there is still, regardless, Mojo, whoever it may be, people think there are some people of the opinion, and let's just talk about it, that this this isn't as obvious of a pick anymore. No. The Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields conversation or discourse must happen. It's not as obvious. Do you feel that at all? No, <laughs> uh, not at all. I, I think just watch, watch like Clemson's offense and what they're asking him to do in that offense and compared to Wilson and Fields. And it's just night and day in terms of how that's going to look then once he gets to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like, He's asked to make a lot of quick decisions and throw the ball vertically a lot on routes that are ISO routes, like one-on-one type of routes where a guy, you have to trust your guy basically to give him a chance. That's not nearly as much as what Fields is doing in that Ohio State offense. He's 
like waiting out crossers, things like that, and that offense and hitting a lot of wide open guys. I just don't think that, uh, and Wilson BYU as well. So I, I just do not think that. Yes, they could be better than him in a few years. Wilson Fields, the safety of Trevor Lawrence is why I'd go Trevor Lawrence. I'm with you. Sprint the card in Trevor Lawrence. I mean, do, this is an easy, easy decision. Don't mm-hmm. make it harder on yourself, Jacksonville. Whoever the new GM, head coach is, embrace Trevor Lawrence, win with Trevor Lawrence. Number two, you have the New York Jets taking Zach Wilson, who right now on PFS draft board is the number two player and number two quarterback in this class. Did Justin Fields' performance against Clemson change that at all for you? I know that's recency bias, but it was a damn good one. A 92.0 plus PFF grade. I I do think it was an impressive performance. I will say this. My opinion of it is Clemson's defense played like absolute ass. And it was was somewhat of an easier performance for Justin Fields. You have to show up. You have to play play a good football game regardless of what Brent Venables and that defense did. Who were missing some pieces there and had Skalski leave due to a... um, whatever that's called, targeting. targeting. They missed it. Nolan yeah. Turner in the first half due to a suspension. Um, but I don't. I think Zach Wilson over Justin Fields is still the appropriate take. And I won't even feel the conversation anymore. The New York Jets do not need to build around Sam Darnold and take the best non-quarterback here too. Or even, I won't even think they look into a trade-down situation. Stay put at two and take the best quarterback left on the board after Trevor Lawrence comes off at one. Yes, I think you'd be crazy to, to, to move down or to pass on quarterback altogether that Darnold was an intriguing prospect coming out Darnold does not hold a candles prospect to Zach Wilson or Justin Fields not even close I just do and not I think, think it's the end of the conversation yeah. I do not think they're on that level like that 2018 class was interesting was thought of as this great quarterback class but there was a lot of guys who you would have loved to have gotten like and it's why everyone's like maybe the Browns just trade down and get whichever one falls to them because they're all kind of thought of in this similar tier to me, there is a clear top three tier in this class of guys that, depending on any other year, would go number uh, number one overall. Last year could have been drafted ahead of Joe Burrow, could have been drafted ahead of guys like Kyler Murray in years past. That's how good all three of these guys are. And so th- that doesn't come around every year, and you're in a position with the Jets where they're going to make so many moves in free agency, add so much to this roster over the course of this upcoming season, that you're not going to be drafting top three next year again. Hope like you, you pray you're not. So I, I do think that this year you got to do it. You got to pull the trigger, and I, and I think it'll be Zach, Zach Wilson over Justin Fields because the arm is just and, and the off-platform stuff and the accuracy is just on just that a notch above Justin Fields. And that's no knock to Fields. Fields great in his own right, but I just think Wilson is special in that regard. Number three, you have the Miami Dolphins taking offensive tackle Panay Sewell of Oregon. I had this in my mock draft as well. I still do think that the Miami Dolphins need to consider a quarterback at number three overall. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, the worst case scenario for the Miami Dolphins, and I'm going to stay to this take probably through April, the worst case scenario for the Miami Dolphins is to stay put at three and take Penesul. That's the worst case. I think the best case scenario is to either take a quarterback at three, get the full value out of that pick, or trade down with the team that you have trading up for you know, Justin Fields in this next pick, or another team looking to get a quarterback, maybe Philadelphia at six, trade down mm-hmm. and still grab one of the best non-quarterbacks in this class, whether that's Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase, whoever it may be. Panay Sewell, and I agree with your analysis here, is this year's version of Chase Young, just on the opposite side of the ball, a generational talent at his position. But to get the full value of that pick, I do think that they either need to take a quarterback, increase your opportunity to land and hit a home run at the most valuable position in the NFL, or trade down one spot, two spot. It could be a Trubisky trade, one spot and still land a Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase at the top of the draft. That is my my take. I don't know if I'm, I'm deviating. 
No, I okay. So like, yes, it's the worst case scenario mm-hmm. if in all those sort of like, yes, the worst of those three. But, they could obviously freaking take. But they're still in a very, they're still in a very good spot because there aren't prospects like Penny Sewell sitting at three every year. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Rams drafted Greg Robinson at two, the Chiefs drafted Eric Fisher at one. Those guys don't come close as offensive tackle prospects to Penny Sewell, like. Wow, you're you're in a you're lucky that a guy like Penny Sewell is there and that you're in a position to draft him. So yes, like you could trade down, recoup value, whatever, but you'd have to get a lot of value in return for me to pass on a guy like Penny Sewell. And I think that's a fair take. I think it's a very fair take. And because, I also think because, I think they're in a very because, so, Go ahead. And depending on, like you say, draft another quarterback, and depending on what you do in free agency with that offensive line. No one's succeeding behind that offensive line right now. Mm-hmm. Like the way that offense is currently constructed, you don't have quick separators at wide receiver, and you have an offensive line that doesn't give you any time. That's just not made for high-level quarterback play. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, God love him, was not playing that. Like his pure passing stats were not that great either in that offense. So I do think that, like, they they need a lot of help. And Tool was not good, but he was also not bad for a rookie. If you drop the snap qualifier to 100 dropbacks under pressure, the number two graded quarterback under pressure this season was Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you shut yeah. your mouth, okay? Ryan I'm, say, I'm saying from a Put stati- the Ryan Fitzpatrick slander over per- there and carry it with perform- your non-alcoholic beers. Okay, okay, but like his grade was good. His actual passing stats were like were lower mm-hmm. than what you would expect. I'm not saying he played well. I just yeah, don't want to hear it. Same. I just don't want to freaking hear it. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Is my guy. I know. All right. So either way, the Miami Dolphins in an interesting spot. They definitely 100% should consider a quarterback at three. I think they're in a very similar situation that the Washington football team was a year ago. They, they have the pick. They have pick number two. They have a generational talent at a non-quarterback position. Should they take a quarterback? We had that conversation. Should they take Tua? Should they take Herbert? They ultimately go with Chase Young. It's hard to say what position they'd rather be in now. They're going to the playoffs with Alex Smith and what left he has, what he has left of his legs. But I do think that. How Tua Tungavailoa has panned out. Maybe they don't. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but they're in the same spot, in my opinion. They just picked a quarterback. They're in a position to take another one. They could either take this generational talent like Benet Sewell, or they could take the quarterback. And, and the interesting thing to me is that this is like icing on the cake for the Dolphins, though. Like, this is a exactly. pick that, That's you another know, part of the conversation. That they we are, they have another first-round pick. They can they can fix offensive, not, you know, not fix offensive, but they can address needs elsewhere in the draft or, like, fill out that roster elsewhere. You could take another swing of the bat that's almost like, like I said, icing on the cake because you weren't expecting to have a number three overall pick when you made this trade for Larry yep. Tunsil. You know what they do? Take Mac Jones at the back <laughs> 18. I'm just kidding. Dude, I'm just would. kidding. Don't take Mac Jones at 18. That would be absolutely absurd. Two of by Law and Mac Jones. Oh, mm. man, that would be rough. All right, let's Th- get off Mac this Mac Jones thing. would get pretty... He would be motivated, though. I know he would be motivated. I mean, he's graded better in that Alabama system than Tua did. I think that would be a bad decision, though. Take the quarterback at three. (laughs) Take the quarterback at three if you're going to take the quarterback. All right. Four, you have the San Francisco 49ers trading up with the Atlanta Falcons to grab the quarterback three in this class right now, Justin Fields of Ohio State. I don't know if we need to spend long here. If they can pull off this trade and get out of the Jimmy G contract, I think it's the obvious move the San Francisco 49ers. One, I want Kyle Shanahan with a better quarterback than me, than Jimmy G on a rookie deal to build up the rest of that team. Two, I want him with a mobile quarterback. Mm. I think Kyle Shanahan with a quarterback with a rushing floor like Justin Fields would be freaking awesome. And so much that I think the San Francisco 49ers team, even with Justin Fields as a rookie, seeing what he's done with Bethard and Mullins, 
could actually be a legitimate team if they can stay healthy. They were the one team in the NFL that got absolutely brutalized by injuries this year. I think if they can recover, rebound from that, get some positive regression in that, and they add a quarterback like Justin Fields to help the cap situation add pieces elsewhere, hello, hello, one of the most improved teams in the NFL next year. Yeah, so if the Dolphins don't trade at three, I don't see any chance the Falcons stay at four unless, unless they themselves draft quarterback. Yeah, I agree. I, I just cannot fathom. It would be bad business with the new GM to stay at four because none of the guys after school, like I love Michael Parsons as a prospect, love Jamar Chase as a prospect. Them compared to what you can get, though, at pick you know, 12, 13, wherever you do end up tra- trading down to for a team that wants a quarterback is not that massive. I, I don't think it's going to be that massive of a gap that someone's going to give you probably a second rounder, maybe another first rounder to get up to this number four overall pick. And they need that. They have help. They had holes at a lot of positions this Falcons roster. That's why they bottomed out this year. So I do think that someone, and I, and I think it's the 49ers for a, an outline in the article, but the fact that Kyle Shanahan has never had a guy outside of Matt Ryan and Matt Ryan won the MVP with him. And when he did have RG3, who was a mobile quarterback, he put together one of the best rookie sort of, seasons. Yeah, rookie seasons ever. And RG3 then without Kyle Shanahan was nothing, like absolutely nothing and never has been since. So I, I do think that with a mobile quarterback, that could take that 49ers offense to a level that... You get me excited, Yeah, honestly. I'm getting a little excited. I might so, crack up an, a non-alcoholic beer. I'm not even kidding. I'm, I'm getting Wednesday. that excited. Uh, the, the other thing too, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is one of my favorite things. This is one of my favorite things is that there isn't a prospect after Panay Sewell where if you stayed put a non-quarterback prospect after Panay Sewell to where if the Falcons stayed put at four, where they wouldn't be being too overconfident in their evaluation. I bring yeah. that up a lot. You cannot be a non-quarterback. You can't be overconfident in your evaluation of a prospect over a non-quarterback to stay put at four with the value of that pick. Because like you said, the value of the other picks that you're getting, regardless of how good you think Jamar Chase is, I think Quiddy Pay is the best edge defender in this draft. You cannot be that overconfident. Yeah. Picks bust all the time. You have to trade back and gather value. You're going to get more expected value, more positive expected value if you trade down and gather. Best thing. Say you go down to was it 13 that they'd be trading down to in this if they, if they do trade with uh, no, excuse me, 12. Mm-hmm. Say you trade down to 12, and at four you would take Jamar Chase. At 12 you could probably get Devonte Smith. At four you take Micah Parsons, who are a linebacker. At 12 you could probably take Jeremiah Wusakarmo. It's like a little drop off, but I don't think it's that mm-hmm. massive to not get another first round pick out of it. They can take one of the best cornerbacks in this class. I, again, I don't think it's that people are overvaluing their evaluations. I, again, yeah, we're spending a lot of time on the top, which I think is, it makes sense. We'll get, we'll move a little faster here. One of my favorite, some of these here. are obvious. Though. Some, some of these are obvious yeah. like this one. Should say Bengals taking Jamar chase. Mm-hmm. I brought it up on the, I think the Wednesday episode of two for one drafts with Anthony trash. This is the obvious pick for the Cincinnati Bengals. If Benet Sewell is off the board, and they stay put at five. They could obviously trade down, gather more picks. The Cincinnati Bengals, and I tweeted this, the Cincinnati Bengals do not need, all caps need, to draft an offensive lineman at five. They do not need to force, they don't need to draft, draft an offensive lineman if Penesul falls there. They don't need to. They should. Penesul would be the obvious pick at five, but they don't need to. What they need to do is address the offensive line in free agency and the offseason. I'll add the offseason to it. Jake Matthews, is one of the bigger cap hits for the Atlanta Falcons this upcoming season. Could be on the market. Go make a trade for a guy like Jake Matthews or another offensive tackle, a veteran offensive tackle that can actually help your team now and then add some interior offensive line pieces like a Joe Tooney, maybe a Brandon Scherf if you can steal him away from Washington this offseason. Or or 
sign Taylor Moton. Go sign Trent Williams. Or go sign Trent Williams. One of the highest, you know, one of the highest ranked um, offensive tackles as a run blocker so far this season. You don't need to take an offensive lineman at five. Go get Andrew Whitworth again. He's going to turn 40 this year. Yeah. But we could go for Whitworth, a little reunion. But I like Jamar Chase. I think he's the best wide receiver prospect in this class. I'm putting him ahead of Devontae Smith, yeah. obviously. I think that's obvious in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Jamar I, Chase over Devontae Smith. Yeah. So Cincinnati Bengals take the best receiver. Uh, and yeah, and I think... You have the obvious pairing of them, and you have the talent level of a guy who feels fairly comfortably, like based off of what he did as a sophomore at 19 years old in college, to be a true number one receiver in the NFL. And that just that makes T. Higgins better. That makes Tyler Boyd better. That like that waterfall effect of like it's one of those cascade positions where T. Higgins was your one, now Tyler Boyd was your two, now T. Higgins is your two, and Tyler Boyd is your three. That just makes that offense. I think it takes to another level that it it just wasn't that this season. And yes, you need offensive line help, but a wide receiver can make an impact sooner, in my opinion, than offensive line. This is one of my favorite mock picks in this draft class. I think it's one of my favorites. I wish I did it in my mock. The Philadelphia Eagles picking at six. Yeah. They grab quarterback Trey Lance of North Dakota State. I think Eagles fans are going to overreact to the last part of that, that he's North Dakota State, just like Carson Wentz. We're doing this again. It's a disaster. Let me rephrase. The Philadelphia if Carson Eagles- Wentz isn't butthurt now. He will be butthurt then. <laughs> the Philadelphia and he is butthurt now also, though. But, you have uh, the Philadelphia Eagles taking quarterback Trey Lance, a big-armed, athletic prospect with a ton of tools and easily a top-10 talent in this class at the most valuable position in the NFL in a situation where you desperately need an upgrade at that position. You played Nate Sudfeld for freaking three drives last night. I think this is the obvious pick. It's better than Micah Parsons. Yeah. There's so many Eagles fans that want to take Micah Parsons here. I do not think that is getting the best value of this pick. Take Trey Lance at six if he's there. Just read the tea leaves here. Howie Roseman meets with or and uh, meets with uh, Doug, gosh, Peterson. Doug Peterson. I'll lose my mind here. Meets Doug Peterson. They both have say their jobs are safe. Two days later, Doug Peterson subs out Jalen Hurts doesn't maybe do his best to win that game against the Washington football team to move up three picks. If you wanted a linebacker, do you really go through all that trouble to move up three picks? If you wanted, you know, a defensive end, are you going through all that trouble to move up three picks, move up three picks to position yourself to draft a quarterback in this class. That's why they're so worried about that draft position. Cause going from number nine and, and you're thinking about trading up probably too. going from number nine to number four, four or number three is a little different than going from number six to number three when a team like say like the the Falcons have their eyes on a top a blue chip type of prospect they have their eyes on a Michael Parsons Jamar Chase if you're trading all the way back to number nine you're not going to get that guy if you're going back to number six you're still going to get one of those guys so I do think that's why they you know quote-unquote intentionally lost on Sunday night and that's what they have their eyes on is this quarterback class and to me Lance makes a lot of sense here well obviously the other three are off the board but because Jalen Hurts can run you're going to op, you're going to build this offense around a mobile quarterback and around that running game trey lance the best runner in this draft class i like it a lot man yeah. because also going from nine to six in addition to like just the mathematical value of those two picks they're getting right behind two the two top five teams that least need a quarterback of the top five teams i'd say the jets dolphins or jaguars jets and dolphins all need a quarterback relatively they don't have their guy well mm-hmm. the Bengals and Falcons are probably in that position where they are obviously not taking a quarterback at those positions I think they can jump ahead of them with some picks if they need to or trade with them to land a Justin and Fields go from nine to six you jump the Panthers and the Broncos who could be drafting one of those QBs bingo 
That's a, that's a great, that's a, I mean, that's a great, that's a great play by Doug Peterson. Again, I have no problem with it. I'm not busting out my notes yeah. app to let you guys know I have a problem with it. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a problem with it. Sorry. All right. Number seven, number seven. I didn't say anybody's name. Okay. I'm just saying I'm not going to mention it. I was waiting for somebody notes to bring that up. Though. Or wait, what's the opposite of undefeated? It's always defeated. Never always break defeated. out the notes No, the app. notes app is, is an atrocity every, every single time. All right. Number seven, the least sexy pick so far. I'm, I'm not, I'm not super attracted to it, but no. quitty pay. Edge defender for Michigan going to the Detroit Lions. It fits what they want to do. I, I, I like the investment. He's. I still think there's a discussion around who's the best edge defender in this class. He still needs to test as well as people think he will. The production this year was good, not elite, like we thought maybe he could take that step for Michigan. But again, looking at production on the defensive side of the ball, both in the NFL and in the, in the NCAA, is tough because this was such a hard year for defenses with the lack of preparation in the offseason and how much advan- the advantage was given to the offenses with COVID impacting when you know how often they could practice, etc. I think it was a very tough year for defenses and specifically defensive prospects to produce at a high level. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the pay pick here, though, the Lions have like they just have not invested in, in their defensive line in terms of draft picks, like mm-hmm. at least the edge position. And that was kind of by design under Matt Patricia. And so, yes, they have Trey Flowers, but they left the sort of cabinet kind of bare there in terms of talent. And they're still one of the worst pass rush teams in the NFL. Like they have to do something. And edge is a position where you can identify the top talent guys. If you're waiting until round two, round three, to address your edge rusher, it's not usually going to work. The hit rates in those rounds suck. So you want to get that guy early on if you're Detroit. All right, jumping to the next pick here at number eight. You have the Carolina Panthers, which I think you're going to see this one mocked a ton. And outside of the top seven picks, this is where you start to feel comfortable about investing in Micah Parsons, who is a very, very good linebacking prospect. Probably the best one we've seen since Luke Kuechly. Going to the Carolina Panthers at eight to replace Luke Kuechly. I feel really good about this selection, even though I've gone on rants on this podcast about linebacker value and the positional value of that of linebackers. But I do think Micah Parsons at eight, I start to feel more comfortable about the, about the pick. Yeah, the interesting thing about Parsons he, is he still sees himself kind of as like an edge rusher. I was like listening to the interview about with him and he's I like, yeah, I'm this. an edge rusher by heart. And that's like, I would be interested to see if he does, if a team will give him that chance to rush the passer. Oh, buddy, that changes things. Because he has, I mean, he has everything you could want to be an edge rusher in the NFL, like the size, mm. the length the explosiveness and like he takes on blocks. He is the best blitzing linebacking prospect I've seen in some time. So that, that could be interesting just if, if uh, and the Panthers like with their kind of college whatever defense Phil snow runs, uh, I think he'd be perfect for. That's interesting. I kind of want to get Micah Parsons on the podcast. I'll Maybe. talk, I'll talk to some people, see yeah. if we can make it happen. Cause I'd be interested to see where, where he'd want to play in the NFL. And I, I know I'll get the answer. I'll play anywhere, but I'd like to try and press even further beyond that to see what, you know, what his thoughts are playing edge defender in the NFL. Cause that of course increases your positional value. If he can get along the edge and actually rush the pass for success. Number nine, you have the Denver Broncos taking Patrick Sertan of Alabama. I love that. in Fangio scheme. What I, I brought this up. I think um, yesterday when I was in the office, watching the games with the guys, what Fangio has done with legitimately very few pieces in the secondary outside of Justin Simmons is honestly incredible. Like oh, Michael Ojemudier and um, who's the other rookie corner they're playing out there? They're playing a handful of rookie cornerbacks yesterday. Oh, I don't even remember. But Michael Ojemudier among them. Oh, yeah, and uh, Parno Motley. Parno Motley. Like, th- it wasn't perfect by any means, but like what he's been able to do with inexperienced corners this season I think has been really impressive. Adding an actual legitimate top-tier talent at the position at nine I think makes sense. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have Von Miller this year. Uh, A.J. Boy got suspended towards the end of the year. They 
did not have a ton of talent and still Vic Fangio was making some magic with that defense. I, I do think that's kind of, if you're not going to be in on this quarterback class, they've, they've already thrown the pieces at offense. Like they've already thrown it. You just got to pray for Drew Locke. And if you're not going to, like I said, adding another wide receiver, adding another tight end, adding another offensive lineman is not going to make that incremental change for Drew Locke. It's going to have to come from within him. So then address the other side of the ball. And I think you can get better at corner. All righty, moving now to the next picks here. It's another cornerback. The Dallas Cowboys taking Caleb Farley, which when I did my mock draft, I had them take Kyle Pitts here. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of Cowboys fans are upset. We got to address the defense. We can't stop anybody. I do think Kyle Pitts here still makes they sense. I think he's a he's a difference maker. I said in my analysis, there's no team in the NFL with enough weapons to to not take Kyle Pitts as high as 10. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the Dallas Cowboys don't have enough with CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper. But Caleb Farley, a really special cornerback prospect that they desperately need on the defensive end. Yeah, I just think it's a, there's some talent at the cornerback position at the top. You have not a lot of talent on that roster at the cornerback position. Like, And Cowboys fans probably rightfully so to be mad because that defense was, yeah, we say whatever defense doesn't matter, but when you're one of the worst like three or four defenses in the NFL, which is what the Cowboys pretty much were this year, you're just, you're never going to win. So they do have to fix something there. And I think getting a, getting a long tandem of Trayvon Diggs and Caleb Farley – just building blocks for years to come. All right. Moving now to an, an interesting pick for sure. I do think that Devontae Smith is a very, very talented receiver. You have him going here at 11 to the New York Giants, who all Giants fans right now want is a receiver. Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, whoever we can get. I want a wide receiver to help Daniel Jones in this offense. The Devontae Smith conversation is interesting. No doubt one of the most productive players we've ever seen. Over the past five, six years, we've been grading college football. He's going to probably finish with the best wide receiver grade we've given after Amari Cooper, who did it, I think, five or six years ago. The, the question marks with him are, one, the production largely came after Jalen Waddle was hurt, and a lot of that production was schemed. You've called out that he had the most screen passes of, what, anyone in the country? Yeah, Some three, along three those lines. screen catches this year. The other, cu- the other question mark for Devontae Smith is the body type. He is That's he does not have a common body type. He showed up to Alabama as a three-star recruit at 165 pounds at six foot one. Yeah. Six foot one, 165 pounds. Yeah. Maybe he comes in at six foot and a half, whatever, you know, depending on where he measures in at the combine. Right now, he's only added 13 pounds to his frame. He's not dense. Not What's dense at all. And you look at player comps. I was looking at player comps on Mock Draftable, a site I encourage you to look at if you're looking to like, look, like compare body types and athleticism, not necessarily play style. Some names that came up were Shad Green of Florida State, who has a very similar body comp to um, Devontae Smith, and then Calvin Ridley. But even Calvin Ridley mm-hmm. woke up over 180 pounds. You know, yeah. at, at his same, I mean, he's six foot and a half, over 180 pounds. Marvin Harrison Sr. is one that people constantly bring up. He had success at around 180 pounds at a similar yeah. size. Are, is Devontae Smith the next, next Marvin Harrison Sr.? I know Kentley Platt, I think his goes by Math Bomb on Twitter, said the only receiver with over 800 receiving guards in a single season or something along those lines with a similar build to Devontae Smith is Nate Washington. And I don't think those guys' play styles are any what similar. Mm-hmm. How concerned are you with the body comp and the production being largely schemed? I'm a little not. I think largely the production being largely schemed. I want to yeah. bring that. I want to bring that. Back he would have 1,500 yards and like 80 catches without. Agreed. Yeah, that, I'm so. going to take that take back. Um, but I do think that it's a real thing, and it will show up more and matter more at the NFL level. Uh, density and strength matters, and like a strong catch over a guy who's 19 might not be a strong catch when the guy's. 27 and 210 pounds and outweighs you by 30 pounds like that it just it does matter but i think we've seen enough of him at this point to realize that one he can get off the line of scrimmage very efficiently which is where i think you'd worry the most 
Mm-hmm. And then two, he doesn't shy away from contact. Like Marquise Brown, he won in college and he was he was never like there was never any physicality in this game. There's no contested catches. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. And even he's like, I, I think almost gotten hated on a little too much for not being super productive in that offense. He left a lot of yards, his yards on the football field this past season, but it, it definitely hasn't translated as well as you probably would have hoped drafting him as the first receiver in that draft class with Devonte Smith. I, I think you see the physicality at the catch point. You see him wanting yeah. to play a physical brand of football and I think that's just a necessary, if you are undersized, you can't be uh, afraid of contact and play only a finesse game, which he does not at all. So I'm, I'm not, I'm really not too worried about him. I think that's that. the right way to approach the concerns. What are you concerned with? Body type. Where do those concerns show up? At the line of scrimmage and in contested catch situations where he's proven to have success at a very high level in college football. Yeah. But I do think the other side of that is those concerns at the line of scrimmage and contested catch situations show up more in the NFL, similar to the concerns with Joe Burrow's arm talent. You didn't see it a ton. You weren't like, oh man, if he had a little more juice, he'd be a better quarterback in college. But you do see it now in the NFL when he's trying to push it outside the numbers and he's not not Mm -hmm. throwing with a ton of anticipation on certain throws. I think Devontae Smith, there's reasons to be hesitant. If you make a completely data-driven decision, this is a body type you don't draft inside the top 10. But... From a production standpoint and, and, and feeling confident in your evaluation with his ability to approach the ball in the air and, and, and releases, I think you can start to feel more confident outside the top 10. Yeah. We'll see how fast he runs. Like everyone's keeps saying he ran like a four or five or whatever yeah. last year. Four or five I as a sophomore in spring camp is what Jim Nagy think, has said. I think he's going to be faster than that because I think he's also gotten bigger since then. Like he was four or five when he was 165 pounds. Yeah. So I do think even though he's still not big, he has gotten stronger since then. And I'd be surprised if he doesn't run in at least four in fours. the four fours. And if he runs in the high four fours, fours that's a huge check. And box. like Deshaun Jackson was 175 or was 175 pounds too, and he's gotten by because of speed and been able to do that. So yep. All right. We'll Moving to number 12, uh, you have after the trading down from four to 12 with the San Francisco 49ers, the Atlanta Falcons taking Kyle Pitts. And you talk about a team that doesn't you don't have enough weapons to pass on Kyle Pitts. Adding him here with Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones is. In a word, awesome. I think this would be really exciting for Atlanta. Yeah, they, they need to address their offensive line somewhere. I would like if they did that in free agency first to some degree and then not waited because last time they tried to rely on their draft picks uh, to all of a sudden save them with Kale McGarry and uh, Chris Lindstrom, it didn't work out so well. So I, I think that's not where you, that's not the well you want to go back to. You want to free up your options. If a guy like Kyle Pitts is staring you in the face there to be able to draft him. So I do think that. That's where I'd go if I was the Atlanta Falcons here. And Hayden Hurst, you gave him a second rounder from. He's not stopping me from getting Cal Pitts. You can get those guys on the field at the same time easily. Yep. All right, number 13, you have the Los Angeles Chargers taking Rashawn Slater of Northwestern over some of the other tackles that are currently ranked higher than Slater on PFS board. Sam Cosme, I think, is one. Where do you see Slater in this class? Is your opinion of him changing late in the pro- or this early in the process? I, I think he's very athletic, and I thought of him as a guard earlier on. But I, I do think after hearing some other people talk about him that I, and going back and watching, I do think he can stay a tackle. Like, yes, he is undersized. I think he's only 6'3", like 3'10", which like would suggest for most people guard. But I think he has the feet to play tackle. Held up well against Chase Young at tackle, even though they really didn't have a ton of one-on-ones um, in their matchup against each other. And I think the Chargers, with the way they're currently constructed, probably need a guy at guard right out the gate and then a guy who could move out to tackle. And that's why I think Schlater would make the most sense for them. You know what the discourse is going to be if this guy's got short arms. 
short arms. <laughs> this is gonna be rough. I mean, Jonah Williams. Now he's no freaking ringer. Garrett Bradbury, but no, no. But I'm saying, I'd have to tackle. It's one of the most. It's like the biggest thing people talk about. And if yeah. he's six three to ten, statistically, his arms are probably coming under that what thirty three inch benchmark. Yeah, that people set for offensive tackles. Yeah. If he comes under that, everyone's going to talk about it. But I do like it for a fit for the Chargers because you said he can't start a, uh, you know, a guard and kick out um, when he's you know ready. Um, Minnesota Vikings at 14. I think this is another one you're just going to consistently see mocked. Gregory Rousseau, a project, lengthy, athletic edge defender. Heard of him? It sound familiar? Going to the Minnesota Vikings to pair up with Daniel Hunter coming back from the injured reserve in 2021. I think this is exactly what the Vikings want to do. And I think Gregory Rousseau is a good enough project to invest him at 14. Yeah, this one, uh, I think, if I had to bet, this one's probably like one of the most likely picks I've seen outside of the top 10. I just think if Rousseau falls to them at 14, you'd be hard-pressed to see them pass with the physical tools he brings to the table. Just how they've drafted, like that's every single guy mm-hmm. that they've taken at the defensive end has had a similar physical skill set to Rousseau. And Rousseau is even like farther along that, you know, Spectrum. He's way out there on that end of the physical freaks. Yeah. I don't think the Judavion Clowney comps are stupid. Like out of, out of this world. Like from how he was used, how he, the way he plays. Yeah, uh, how he was used at Miami, and then like in terms of freak. Like this guy's this guy is a legitimate freak. Yeah. Um. He only well, he only played his retro freshman season at Miami and was like legitimately dominant playing sacks, like yeah. four four different five different positions for Miami. So I'd be interested to see after opting out. We had him on the podcast. He talked about that. After opting out this season, what he does for Minnesota, probably, again, a project, hasn't played a lot of football, but has all these tools in the world. All right, New England Patriots, this would be a dream scenario for them, I think. Landing Mac Jones at 15, and the and the San Francisco 49ers get, going up and trying to get their guy. Mac Jones at 15 to the New England Patriots. A- again, is Mac Jones the future at that position? Can you be that confident in him as a, as a quarterback prospect? Is he the guy you're building around? You're going to try. You have to. You're not going to do the Cam Newton experiment again. J- Jared Stidham's not it. Give Mac Jones an opportunity as you are in the middle of a very bad rebuild for the New England Patriots right now. And I think mm-hmm. at 15, I, I, I like Mac Jones. I think it's the biggest thing. You could use a wide receiver, but this roster. <laughs> could they? <laughs> yeah, like everyone's going to be like, oh, no, we need wide receivers for you. Yeah, you do, but you're going to need a lot of positions. You got old really quickly, this Patriots roster. It, it's not good, and it's not going to be good next year, no matter what you do. You're not in a a, a a great cap situation either although they do have some space because they have no money tied up at the quarterback position at all right now so they have some but they're still uh like i just don't think 2021's going to be their season either and so at that point if a guy like mac jones sitting there you take a shot see what you got and then if it doesn't go well then you're drafting top three next year then you take that shot at a guy even higher uh but i do think that they they have to be at least kind of in on this quarterback class and for everyone saying, oh, Mac Jones, whatever, just product to Alabama, I, I think he ends up going fairly high in this draft. Tresh said on this podcast, I'm interested in your take on this, that Mac Jones could challenge Trey Lance for QB4. I doubt it. I just think... The tools are too different, With right? the success of guys like Justin Herbert and Josh Allen in recent years, Mahomes. Trey Lance is still going to get... He's still going to get draft highly. I have another take. It's about the New England Patriots situation. How committed... And this one's interesting. I don't know how it works, but how committed is Bill Belichick to being the head coach of the New York, uh, or not New York, New England Patriots in this rebuild? That's a good question. Because can, can he? I don't know. Again, I don't like I said, know. It's not one year. They, they he thought they could just reload. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that's what they. 
that's what they tried to do this offseason is tried to make it one year and we're back at it. And yeah, they had more opt-outs than anyone else and they'll get some talent back, but it quite clearly they did not have the roster to do that. So I do think that he's is pretty damn frustrated right now. I mean, I'd be at least mulling it over if it was an option if I was Bill Belichick to mutually part ways and, and go Jaguars. seek out a position like Houston. I feel like, oh my God, think about this. If Bill Belichick, again, I don't understand how coaches can get out of contracts on those things, but if Bill Belichick could mutually part ways with the New England Patriots and go to a team like the, the Houston Texans, who I get and don't have a lot there. They don't have a lot, but they have a quarterback. And I think Bill Belichick has done more with defenses that are you know makeshift put together talents than anyone in the NFL. You, you bring him to Houston. Well, I mean, to Houston, he, if he left the Patriots, he could name his job. He could go I know, to I know he could you know I Green know Bay could. and say I want to coach Aaron Rodgers, and they'd be like, okay, we're gonna fire Matt Lafleur. Sorry, like he. But I'm talking about yeah. current openings where maybe okay. it makes sense, yeah. and he wants to win right now. I don't think that's the Jags. Well, that's I don't think I'm that's saying. the Chargers. To... <laughs> I don't think that's the Jags. The Chargers. Yeah, I mean, fair. maybe it's the Falcons. Charge, I, think, I all, think Chargers could. Chargers could right now. Maybe this is Chargers. Have, have, but if he wanted to do that, I would be really, really excited to see it. <laughs> he wants to chill out in L.A., reinvent himself. Dude, coach up like, Derwin uh, James, Casey Hayward. Fuck, man, that like sounds Colin pretty Coward. awesome. Yeah. Man, I'm getting a little excited. All right, 16, Arizona Cardinals, Jalen Waddle. Yep. You are still of the opinion, and so am I. We had this conversation before the podcast, that Jalen Waddle is a better prospect than Devontae Smith. Yeah. But do you think... Waddle goes lower. I think there's two reasons Waddle will go lower than Smith or put, could potentially go lower than Smith. One, the injury. Obviously, freaking fractured his ankle or broke his ankle this season. That's going to have effect. Two, people are going to look at Henry Ruggs, this flyer out of Alabama that's not having success in Las Vegas, and get a little skeptical. I think Waddle's a better prospect than Ruggs. Such a better prospect. And we said that we said that months ago. We said that Waddle's probably a better prospect than Ruggs. I don't think we firmly said it, but we were definitely hinting that he could be, maybe should be. I think there are teams that are going to shy away from him, though, because of the rug situation and the injury, and that's why he does fall behind Devontae Smith, the more productive receiver this season. I, I bet, I bet he, I bet Devontae Smith does go first. I still like Waddle better. He, like I said, outproduced them when they were both on the football field. Is a much more dynamic athlete than Henry Ruggs. So Henry Ruggs was a straight line. Reminded me of kind of Paris Campbell, where like he he wasn't oh shaking God. guys in the open field. That was not his game. He ran past you. He was one cut, and then he was gone. Jalen Waddle can shake guys. He can run past you, and then he can also shake you, which is kind of just a different level uh, that honestly really no one else has in this draft class. He is kind of alone in his physical profile. Yes, he's also undersized, like 5'10", 180-something, but he averaged 19.2 yards per target, not per catch. Every time the ball was thrown his way, is 19.2 yards. That is... And he didn't have a stupidly high... Average depth of target. Like he was getting yeah. some underneath stuff too and yeah. just turning it into he's big just, plays. If Jalen Waddle was there the whole year, he, he probably gets more Heisman hype because he probably returns like two or three kicks also uh, and gets. Well, Nick so. Saban's still frustrated that he returned that one kick yeah, when he yeah. hurt. So, probably return, yeah, that's so. <laughs> but oh, I, I do think if he, and if he fell to the Cardinals here, obviously, you sprint that card in because that's kind of what they wanted Andy Isabella to be, but really hasn't been. A little bit of a tangent here. But I've been dropping some takes on the Twitter timeline about Cliff Kingsbury and the seat that might be gaining heat. Oh, you hate Cliff. I don't I hate Cliff. I don't hate Cliff. But they started out 6-3. and three, And they've completely botched games over the past two weeks. And I know Strebler happened. I, I know Strebler came in this past week. What's your opinion of what Cliff Kingsbury has done with Kyler Murray, 
and DeAndre Hopkins this season. I wrote about this last week. Did you not read? I, I read it. Okay. I read it. But I'm saying, what's your opinion now after this freaking last debacle? I just don't think the way he is sort of translated his offense to the NFL has been smart. Like it's it's he's too tied to what he knows, and I think a couple of things really hammer that home one is just like his fourth down decisions this year was one of the most conservative coaches in fourth downs now i think that started started changing towards the end of the season and two is the fact that it's like uncreative usage of deandre hopkins you have this guy who is your number one receiver and you kind of just plug him at left wide receiver and let defenses know where to roll their coverage every single play and they don't have anyone else like this is a scheme that's built to that kind of needs four good wide receivers, four quality receivers, and you got one, and you haven't adjusted at all because of with that. And they've had good success from their offensive tackles. Kelvin Beachum yeah. and DJ Humphreys both rank inside the top six in uh, pressure percentage allowed. Well, no one wants to rush Kyler. Like, just, yeah. you, you got Well, that's part of it, too, and they have a quick release, yeah. all that stuff. But regardless, it's not like the offensive line has been a disaster by any No, yeah, reason. no. It's... But over the past two seasons, in 2019, Cliff's offense ranked 20th in EPA per play. This year, 24th. Yeah, that's that's not good enough. If you, I don't care then, if you have battled injuries, you are supposed to be this offensive mastermind with a legitimate, insane talent in Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Mm-hmm. That's that's frustrating in my opinion. I'm frustrated at Cliff Kingsbury at the very least, if not lighting a little freaking lighter, a Zippo under his seat. There's just not enough. Da- there's no downfield aspect to that offense. It's all with a quarterback RPOs, that can throw freaking game, throw over the mountain screens wide. It's just that, yeah. All right, the Cardinals, Cardinals take Jalen Waddle at 16 here. Maybe unlock the deep ball in Arizona. At 17, let's speed through this. You have the Las Vegas Raiders taking a very good edge defender who had a ton of success against the backup left tackle for Cincinnati. Oh, Poor guy. German-born kid. I've actually had a conversation with him multiple times when I was covering the, the Bearcats a little bit. Super nice guy. Has added a ton of weight. His body has like completely transformed over the past four years. Gets thrown in because I think the left tackle, James Hudson, I believe is mm-hmm. his name, gets thrown out or ejected, whatever it may be. Targeting. Targeting, and he just gets absolutely roasted. Ojolari just just stuck it to him. It wasn't even close. Like his hands looked very good, and people are going to highlight those pass rushes on his when he gets drafted. The highlight reel is going to include that motherfucker, you know, the, the Cincinnati backup. Mm-hmm. And it's it sucks to see it. But as Ojolari put it, put him in a blender a bit. At seventeen, I like this value, and I like it better than the guy you have going next, where you see a lot of mock drafts going with Jeremiah Owusu Koromo going to the Dolphins at eighteen. The Raiders could with go with that decision, but I like Ojolari over JOK. In this situation, yeah, I think one Max Crosby took a massive step back this year, and two, they just don't really have a true speed rusher. That is what is he as Ojolari is. They have a couple like set the edge type of guys. I don't know what kind of defense they're going to be running next year, but everyone could use a speed rusher. Like everyone has room for that in their scheme on third downs and whatnot. So I do think he adds something to a pass rush that's just been lackluster. And the Ojolaris, they're the next Bosa. So they're not as good as the Bosa's, but his brother BJ plays for LSU. Also going to be a first round pick. Just get ready for it. Man, they're not the next Bosa's though. Ojulari no is not. Bosa's, yeah, yeah. That, that Ojulari is not a Bosa from yeah. a production standpoint. Close to what he is. But so for, uh, this past week against Cincinnati, ninety two point seven PFF pass rush grade on the year, a ninety one point three PFF pass. It, it is grade. weird though how those like their families. Are there any other positions where family like uh, they all are on along the line of scrimmage? I feel like are there any families like at wide receiver that have two guys that are just like in the NFL at receiver? You see it at quarterbacks, quarterback obviously. too. Like O line, you got the Martins, you got the Watts defensively. Got any? 
trying to think corners. I don't know, man. Any real? Asante Samuel Jr. and his son, <laughs> or his dad, I guess, played the same position. Yeah, AB's dad was the uh, Arena League guy that was lighting the world on fire. Oh. That kind of, I don't I know, know if that, that counts. I didn't know. Yeah. If, I don't know if that counts. Does Arena League count? <laughs> I'm not really I guess sure. you're good enough. Um, 18, you have the Miami Dolphins taking Jeremiah Wusukoromo, one of your favorites. Notre Dame faithful there. Very, very good linebacking prospect. I agree that the gap between JOK and Micah Parsons isn't all that significant. Because And it's because it's at a position where I just don't think you're making that big of an impact yes. also. Like yeah. linebacker. That's like, the bigger reason. Coverage, wi- coverage wise, they're kind of on a similar plane. Us Carmo might even be better in coverage. You just feel safer about Parsons. Michael Parsons is better against the run, though. And run his run defense yeah. is absurd. You yeah. turn on his tape in 2019, I don't think you see a linebacker fitting the run better. Yeah. I think he ranked inside the top five and percentage of run snaps played where he was first to make contact on the player inside the top five in college football. It's not number mm-hmm. one. I don't remember the stat specifically off the top of my head. All right, Mike, we are running long on this podcast. I'm getting calls from Chris live from the NBC studios and we got to rush through this, but oh, let's shit. get let's get our rolling rooks going and then let's get to Calvin Ridley and Dave Brock, the Atlanta Falcons wide receivers coach. Rolling rooks, run through the top five rookies in the useless, somewhat useless week 17. All right, number one. Jonathan Taylor, not useless because they needed to win that game. 250-plus yards in that one. And my bold prediction, if you'll recall, preseason, Jonathan Taylor finishes top three in rushing. Dude finished third to end the uh, season. Hell yeah. Needed to pass hell like yeah. six guys in week 17. He did it. Thank you for making me look smart, Jonathan. That's why he got the top spot. Number two, Jerry Judy had that, what was it, 90-whatever yard reception? Or 92. I think it was 92 ridiculous speed on that one what and happened he had to Jonathan couple, Abram there a couple releases oh dude Jonathan Abram <laughs> looks awful there's like has he busts coverages every week multiple coverages there was another one where Jerry Judy's catching a, I think a crosser on a play action where he like goes to like lower shoulder on the hit he just he still catches it on it was there was a couple really head scratching plays on Jonathan Abram's tape in week 17 and in the weeks prior that's like you could say you could say that every single week yeah. but and he also had a couple nasty releases against Trayvon Mull and I think he forced one penalty he should have forced another um at number three, Chase Claypool uh, went for over 100, I believe, on the day. Had a few other balls that could have been caught, but were or not could have been caught, but could have been online. But yeah, Mason Rudolph throwing it to him this, that day. A uh, couple nice contested catches down the field. Number four, J.K. Dobbins. Dude averaged six yards a carry this year. It must be nice. Like I, I, Running backs probably dream about playing in the Ravens scheme. Uh, he was because, running through some open assholes. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, I think, but forced one of his tackles and had a better day. But mm-hmm. Dobbins was like, it was fucking open. It was a field day against Mike Quinn, Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> Sorry, Mike Quinn, but that was... Bengals, also, by the way, lost 65-6 to this year against the Ravens. Just completely... <laughs> so the Ravens end up finishing at, with the NFL lead in point differential. But, I mean, does it... I mean, how much, yeah, I mean, when you're just freaking hammering the Cincinnati Bengals... Doesn't and, seem fair. And boosting the stats... I don't know. It's an interesting point. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting stat when you think about it like that. All right. And then number five, Xavier McKinney. We didn't see him until week 12 this year. The Giants' safety looked strong, had the game-ending interception, obviously, but that was kind of a gimme pick, tossed up in the air, uh, also blew up a screen, had a couple other nice plays, was stride for stride with CeeDee Lamb, gave up a catch, but it's a safety guard in CeeDee Lamb. Just being there was enough, in my opinion. So nice day from him. I think they got a P player going forward. you love to see it. I have one clip on my on my Twitter right now, Jerry Judy absolutely roasting Damon Arnett and getting called, but they didn't call penalty on the on defensive holding. It's a oh, that's who it wasn't Trayvon Mullen. Anyway, so, but Trayvon Mullen, they also missed one on Trayvon okay. Mullen. So the yeah. play before the 92-yard touchdown for Judy, he, oh, Trayvon he Mullen got away with a hold too, yeah. and then they didn't call that one. But Judy was roasting kids. The first play was a, uh, a slant to Judy first read, and he just gave Trayvon Mullen the business. It was it was fun to watch. I mean, yeah. and J- Tresh, 
said today that he would take Devontae Smith over Jerry Judy. He's high. Which is just... Don't, don't rip off. Find someone else trash. next time I can't make the podcast. <laughs> Quinn, you might have to step in for Tresh next. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll have someone else produce the pod. All right. Well, that's going to do an absolutely loaded podcast, but it's the, frick, it's the first day of draft season, Quinn. Stay up a little later. <laughs> have a good time. 90 minute, 95 minute podcast here. Mock draft, rolling rooks, coach search, all that stuff. Let's now jump to probably the highlight of the podcast. Calvin Ridley and Dave Brock. Dave Brock first. I talked to Dave Brock. Here's a snippet of the Dave Brock interview followed by Calvin Ridley. But I'll be honest with you, I really think the, the breakout started uh, last year. You know, he was he had a run uh, after our bye week. He had a run going in those four games that was, was really tremendous and then just unfortunately got hurt. Um, but, but his production was, was really, really good. And, um, you know, I think he just really picked up kind of where he left off, uh, you know, starting in this year and, and just embraced the fact that, that he was going to be a, a dominant player. And, and again, his skill set lends and lends it to, uh, being really explosive and, and, you know, being able to create big plays. He's got great movement. He's got great body quickness. He's got great speed, you know, all those things and, and make him really, really hard to handle. So well, how do you think his role changes in the offense when Julio Jones is out? Because he does become that new number one for Matt Ryan. How, how much does his role change in that offense? Well, I think it changes in terms of, of you know, how we, would, how we would specifically game plan uh, and scheme plays for him, uh, certainly when, when Julio is not there, but also the, the defensive structure and makeup changes. You know, uh, you know Julio, when, when he's playing, you know, he really, you know, dictates the coverage. He dictates a lot of double teams. He he creates a lot of, of opportunities for the other players on the Falcons to to get one on one coverage. Um, you know, and when who's not playing, you know, some of those doubles and 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 most of that attention now shifts to uh, Calvin. And and you know, this season, you know, he's handled that you know fantastically. I mean, he, he's done a great job, and and you know, continued to to be able to create big plays for us to, you know, uh, uh, chunk plays and, and explosive plays as we call them. Um, you know, whether he's singled, doubled, they kicked the coverage to him. You know, he's been able to handle really anything that anybody's thrown at him defensively. Something I've noticed when, you know, studying Calvin Ridley and looking at his tape, he sees a high percentage and, and most of the Atlanta Falcons receivers do. And I think it's because you do have that combo of Ridley and Julio Jones. Um, see a ton of off coverage. How are you coaching Ridley and, and those receivers to work against off coverage? Because it's a totally different ball game when comparing going against press man and working your releases, going against off coverage and attacking cornerbacks leverage. How is that how is that coached on your end and, and how do you think Ridley has handled some of that development? Well I, I think, you know, it starts with, you know, you you really try to look at why are they probably playing off coverage. And I, I think Calvin is so good at the line of scrimmage, so good as a release player. Um, you know, he's really, really hard to get up and bump. You know, he's able to, to release. He can win inside, outside. He can win with his feet. He can win with his speed. Um, you know, and, and I think when you're, when you talk about off coverage, you know, you, you really have a chance now where, you know, Calvin's skill set is, is amplified because he's going to run at people full speed and, you know, have the opportunity, at least the way that we do things, he's going to have the opportunity to, to go out in or up. And, and at all different depths, you know, he'll run outs at, at you know, six to eight yards. He's going to run outs at 12 to 14 yards. He'll run outs at 25 yards. 
the the way that we do things depending on whether it's quick game or drop back or play pass. And, you know, the, the route tree that he has is, is really, really big and he's able to do all of it. So, you know, he's, he really is able to, to attack those corners in, in every possible way, whether it's crossing routes, deep routes, uh, crossing routes, shallow or deep. Uh, you know, he, he's done a fantastic job. And, and again, for him, you know, he has the ability to win, you know, at the line of scrimmage versus bump. And, and when he gets off coverage, you know, I, I think his speed and his body movement and quickness are, are you know, the, 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 the things that help him the most. I mean, you can't bring up Calvin Ridley without bringing up his release package. Is that something he came from Bama and Nick Saban to Atlanta with? Or, do you, or are you taking credit for any of that? Because he is an absolute technician at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, no, I, I think we talk about um, the ways that you release. But I, I think, you know, when you look at a player like Calvin or, or Julio or, or even Russ Gage, who's had a, a terrific year for us, uh, you know, a lot of those things, I'm not going to tell you that they don't work on them and they, they don't develop them. And, and But some of those things are, also, you know, God-given talents. I mean, talents, you know, Calvin's an incredibly talented young guy physically. You know, he's got, he's, he's a tough guy. He's got mental toughness and he's, he is like a hyper, hyper competitive player. And, you know, those, you know, when you have bump coverage, you know, that's the ultimate one-on-one, you know, it's you and that guy, Um, you know, now sometimes because Julio's out now he sees bump coverage plus a safety over the top. And, and, you know, he's in a, in a double situation that Julio's in most of the time when he's in there. Uh, and, and again, he's done a great job even against uh, those uh, circumstances. So I, I wouldn't, I would be giving credit to Calvin, not certainly not taking any of it. I, I have plans to talk to Calvin soon. I think we're scheduled to to talk today. But before I do, I'd I'd love to hear from your perspective what you think the impact Julio Jones has had on Calvin Ridley. Two Bama guys, obviously Julio Jones will go down as one of the NFL's best receivers we've really seen. What impact do you think Jones has had on Ridley in his development? Well, I, I think. One thing that, that, you know, probably isn't seen as, as widely as it should be is, you know, Julio is an elite teammate. Um, you know, he's trying to help all of his teammates in, in any way he can. But specifically in the receiver world, you know, he's been there. And, and obviously the, the Alabama connection and the relationship prior to getting here, that helps because there's a comfort level and, and the ability to, to say things and talk about things that, that maybe are a little bit harder if you don't know a person. Um, but you know, the thing that Julio does, he puts everybody at ease. He, he's going to create a, a situation where he's going to be able to try to help Calvin in any area that, that he thinks Calvin needs help. And, and one of the nice things about Julio is he doesn't put any limitations on anybody. He doesn't ever want to hear somebody can't do something. So, you know, even something that maybe Calvin does, really really well if who sees something that that he thinks might be able to improve that he'll he'll address it and uh you know who's a great teammate he and calvin have an have an incredible relationship it's really special to 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 see i feel fortunate to have been involved with it the last few years and and i think i certainly think calvin's benefited tremendously from who you know not only as a as a mentor for the lack of a better word but also because you know when Julio's out there, you know you you have an, you have an opportunity to to get a lot of coverage situations that are advantageous. 
Something, and I, I kind of want to finish with this too, and it's a little bit of a, a technical question that I hope you can answer, is what we've noticed here at PFF is that Calvin Ridley's route depth has has increased significantly. So has his average depth of target. Do you feel that that's something that was you know placed an emphasis in the offseason, how they wanted to expand Calvin Ridley's role, was pushing him further downfield, having him win those valuable routes on the vertical route tree, or do you think that's by circumstance with Julio Jones being injured as often as he has? No, I, I think I think that the the intent was there from the beginning because I think if you look back, you would see that I think it's been constant for the year, even when who was playing all along, you know. But again, the, you can't you can't minimize uh, the impact that Julio not playing has. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to increase your targets. It's going to increase the 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 number of opportunities that are schemed for you in a game. You know, and and. You know, I think if you if you realistically think about it, you know, if you if you got Julio Jones playing in the game, uh, you know, sixty snaps, and and you know he walks off the field with less than fifteen targets, you know, you probably should be thinking shame on you, like you <laughs> you, you got to target who when he's playing. I feel exactly the same way about Calvin. You know, it's just more challenging when they're both playing the full game. You know, so when when who has been out, I think you just see maybe the best way to describe it would be more of the same, uh, not necessarily different. I think if you went back and looked at the first three or four games, you would see all the things that you're talking about with Calvin. They've just probably increased over time, especially here the last four or five weeks, you know, when, when, when who hasn't played in the games. Uh, and, and again, I think if you look at, at Calvin's performance uh, when Julio hasn't played, it's been at a at an absolutely elite level. All right, you know, I mean, he, he's had some of the he's had some of the best games of his career. You know, this year when when who hasn't played because I think he's he's taken on that that I don't look at it as a burden, but I, he's taken on that opportunity to to try to help lift the the offense because he knows that that you know we still need that production from from our position. 100%. I mean, he's been handed an opportunity to you know fill in for Julio Jones and has risen, again, risen to that occasion. I lied. I have one more question for you, and I'll, I'll let you go. Sure. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Calvin this as well, but from your perspective, working with these guys every day, what's the level of competitiveness between these two? Obviously, Julio Jones is the old dog, the veteran, the guy you're learning from, but I'm sure there is some levels of competitiveness in practice that people don't see in these games where Ridley and Julio Jones are going at it. Yeah, again, I, don't, I would I would think that they are they are competing with each other to be the best they can be. I don't think they compete with each other in terms of, of I think what a what a normal person would think, like more catches or more yards or, or anything like that. You know, I, I think one of the things that that we're all fortunate to have, you know, with the Falcons organization is. Like when you when you look at somebody and and you want to be great, you want to be among the best that have ever done it, maybe the best that's ever done it. Well, he sits in our room, and you can watch him work. You can watch him in the meetings. You can watch how he handles the media. You can watch how he does every all of his business, on and off the field. You know, and and you see that it carries over to being, you know, one of the elite players I think in the National Football League ever not only at receiver but but in general and you know i think with with calvin being here you know he's able to look at that and and he's able to i'm sure take those things that are going to help him personally be the best player he can be maybe to be the best person he can be 
you know, he's going to ask Julio for advice on, on a lot of topics. It's not just football. And, uh, you know, who, like I said, is such a great teammate and such a great person that, you know, he's, he's always willing to help and always willing to, to, you know, try to be the best teammate he can for, for those other guys. I talked about this with Brock and that, you know, a lot of what it has been is that you've just been given more opportunities from a target's perspective, but still creating the same levels of separation. Um, yeah, against I, always get, I always got open since my rookie year here. Like <laughs> I could get open. I just wasn't in the reads at some point sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I think let's talk specifically about, you know, your ability to get open. I think something that I've been a big fan of your game for when I turn on the tape is you see a very low percentage of press coverage among receivers in the NFL. You see a lot of off coverage. And I think, again, Brock said this, too. It's because you're really good at the line and you can get releases and that's how you create separation. How does route running change and how does attacking leverages change when you are working against off coverage? You know, what, what, what in your mind changes? I know it varies by route, but I'd be interested to know how different it is to create separation against off coverage versus uh, you know, being uh, at the line. Honestly, I like uh, when they're off. It's because when they're off, I can really separate. I could give them so much speed. Like, mm-hmm. they're not touching me in my first five yards, I can really give them so much speed where they're going to panic and I could just go any direction as opposed to when they're pressed, they can just push me, try to push me and hold me, hold me when it's a little harder, but I still get some type of separation by leaning on them, just giving them certain angles. It's all about alignment and uh, angles and it's all about angles to me. If I, mm-hmm. if I get a guy on his feet, like say I'm running a vertical route or a stop route and he turns, and I can get them to just turn. And once I start really running, that's when I know to stop. It's just all about, you know, watching your opponent, feeling it. It's really feeling it in, in the alignment and the adjustments like that I can make between just the, the movements he gives me to make it right and wrong. Do you watch a lot of film in game weeks or even in the offseason of your opponent, yeah. like specific cornerbacks and those things? And when you are watching that film, what are you looking for, tendencies and, and, and different things like that? Yeah, every every DB I don't win against this year, I watch them and watch the whole defense. But I'm looking for like, I'm looking at the other receivers they're playing against. What what did that receiver do to you know win some of the reps and mm-hmm. how can I use it? How can I, what what am I need to do? Is he a physical guy? Is he mm-hmm. just gonna let me run off the line and try to run with me? I I be looking for all little key things to help me go into the game. And I, I actually like when I go to the game, I actually like when I'm watching film, I actually remember. Mm-hmm. in the game, like what I want to do to this guy. So I'm not like a guy who just watches and I'm watching it for the hell of it, but I'm really watching <laughs> it. I'm going into the game with a plan. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to win. You have to, man. I mean, you yeah, talk you to, to, I think it's very similar personally. I think it's very similar to pass rushers. Pass rushers yeah. go into every game with a plan. They look at their offensive tackle, who they're going against, and try and find a plan to beat them when they're reps. Because yeah. it's, it's a very it's a very isolated Matchup, wide receiver versus corner. It's a battle. It's a battle. A pass rusher versus outfits to tackle. In these one-on-one situations, you're looking to win every rep. And pass winning every rep. Just like receiver, really. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree 100%. When I talked to Coach Brock, I, I brought up your release package, and, and you create such great separation at the line of scrimmage. And I said, is that all you? Is he coaching you? Are you coaching him up? But he said he he said 90% of it, or whatever he said, is God-given talent, man. He just <laughs> said, it's God. sometimes these guys just have talent. How much do you work on your release package, or how much is it just God helping you out uh, from the top there? Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be real honest. It's um, I I literally train my body. I work out. I the releases. I that's all I do is think. Mm-hmm. What can I do to you know what I'm saying? But it really is just God given you know ability. <laughs> I can make the cuts. I can 
I can I can be quick, I can mm-hmm. be tough, I can be I could just do it if I want to do it, you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. honestly, it, it it's, it's God given, but you I still go in there with a plan, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I really go into the games with ideas and you know, I watch all the, the, the plays that I think I'm gonna get. I go over them, I, I try to see how every possible way I can win, whatever he's giving me, and that's what I do. Yeah. How, w- w- at what point do you think, it, whether it be at Alabama or even with the Atlanta Falcons, do you feel like you really started to get it from a preparation and release package sample, like technically? Because I think the God-given talents got you to where you were at Alabama when you were there yeah. your first two years there. But no since doubt. then, you've developed as a technician, both in no your doubt. latter years at Alabama and then, at, and then in Atlanta. When do you think you really got that part of your yeah, game? Yeah, Alabama, I, it wasn't Alabama. I was just good I was naturally good football same player. same I was pretty good yeah. in college too <laughs> yeah but I didn't know anything man I didn't know I wasn't confident I honestly wasn't confident in mm-hmm. Alabama until I got here and I watched Julio Jones and Muhammad Sanu and Justin Hardy how they catch the ball how they aggressive how how they talk how just how confident they were in themselves like you know I'm gonna do it I can do it I got it and man I didn't realize until my end of my rookie year just how confident Julio was. I was just like, man, what's wrong with this guy, man? He just, you know he could beat everybody. And then my second year, I just started to just try to think like him. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm the better athlete. I'm gonna win every time. I'm the better. So this year, I just honestly been like, man, if they stop me, they stop me. But I'm the better athlete. I should win. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Catch. You know, I gotta catch. Make sure I'm catching. I work on my catches every day. But honestly, I just, I try to keep my confidence as high as I can. I want to talk more about um, the relationship you have with Julio Jones. You know, this guy's a future Hall of Fame receiver, one of the best receivers the NFL has really ever seen. And you've had you've had the opportunity to work with him since you got there in Atlanta. What impact yeah. has he had on you? It sounds like his confidence and the way he approaches the game has obviously had an impact on you. But nah, what are some he, other things that have done he, for, he's done for you? Honestly, I, don't, I always say this, man. They they've made me a really good player. I feel like just watching and listening to him, he ain't nothing he could do. Everybody knows the ability he has, but the thinking yeah. he has, like he's gone through everything I possibly can go through. Every injury, every like mind thinking, like he's gone through and he's not afraid to tell you like, yeah, I, I was thinking like that once upon a time, you know what I'm saying? This is what you do to get yourself to this level and to this thinking. And it's really all a mind game. If you already have the ability, mm-hmm. it's a mind thing. Now you just get your confidence on the right level and man, you can, you can ball. Coach Brock also said that something that's underrated with Julio Jones, and I'm sure you'd attest to this as well, is that, yeah, he's this great player on the football field, so productive, but he's one of the best teammates. He wants every single person on the team to have success, and I think that is... I haven't seen anything. I mean, I haven't been. I ain't been on a lot of teams. I've been around a lot of players, but I haven't seen anything like from the, like, they drafting wide receivers in here. He's the, you know, the head wide receiver. They're drafting guys and multiple guys. I mean, like, even on free agent guys, he's coaching them up. You know what I'm saying? Showing Man. what you know what you could have did here, and he really cares. He really cares about people. And yeah, they, they've invested a ton um, at the wide receiver position. He's helped groom every single guy. Justin Hardy, yeah. yourself, yeah, there's Russell a, there's Cage, a standard, Muhammad Sanu. There's a standard here, and he's he's not gonna let you come through here and then go somewhere else and not. Say, oh man, you don't came from Atlanta. You, I see why you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's great, man. That's great. Um, I, I want to talk about 
next year a little bit. You know, look ahead to next year and think about how does how does Calvin Ridley sustain this production? How does Calvin Ridley sustain this dominance? And obviously, it's health, staying healthy, staying confident. But what do you think you can work on this offseason to make sure you don't come off the top? You know, you don't you don't let the, you know come down at all going into 2021 and the following seasons. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm definitely gonna work on you know every aspect of my game and bigger, stronger, faster, all that. But it all really comes down for me, honestly, staying healthy. Mm-hmm. If I'm healthy and I'm out there and I'm feeling good, I should be good. I should be, you know, tearing it up. And uh, yeah, I yeah. Mean, healthy is key, man. I- it's big. <laughs> huh? Staying healthy is big, man. It, oh, it, it's man. so important. It's huge. It's, it's everything. It's huge, bro. Let's talk. Uh, I should have. About- go ahead. Man, I should have. I don't know. I should. I should have had a better season than this year, honestly. Mm-hmm. Honestly, is that because of injuries or what? What do you think? What do you think went into that? Uh, injuries, definitely it, all injuries. Man. Dude, we, we know first... we have. You know what we have to talk about? That game where you had zero receptions, where everyone was like blown. Everyone was blown away. I mean, the, the fantasy football community are, is one thing. I, I'm not a huge fan of that community, yeah. but they're they're losing their minds. Everyone's losing their minds. Best receiver on yeah. Atlanta. What happened in that game? Let's talk about it. Man, no excuses. I didn't. I didn't feel that good. Mm-hmm. The game. What, what what was that? Week four? Uh, I think I think somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, so one of those week one, two, or week one or two, I pulled my calf. So I was on that. And then by me playing on it for another week or so, like something like that, mm-hmm. he had my whole leg jacked up. Oh, yikes. So I went into that game a little banged up, but I, I still should have did it. Yeah. And, um, it was against Green Bay, too. I mean, Jair Alexander is yeah. one of the better young corners in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, but- yeah, 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 yeah. But it, you know what I'm saying? Me, I ain't – it ain't no – it ain't. It wasn't that. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think it was either. Because you turn, if you watch the tape again, if you and you don't just watch targets, you watch every single route. You were creating a lot of separation. There were a handful oh, yeah, of opportunities you had. Yeah, you were getting open. Let's talk about. And it was cold. And it was cold. It was cold. cold. Uh, no excuses. These are reasons, no excuses, not excuses. <laughs> These are reasons, not excuses. Nah, they got um, a really good team, good ballers over there. Uh, absolutely. So, who do you think are some of the better cornerbacks you faced this year, or even faced in the NFL? Some of these guys that really do, you know, give you a good game every single time you see them. Uh, this season or period in the NFL? Period. Let's go period. Uh, I got to get to Tampa. I'm going to just say the Tampa Corners. They're the big yeah. tall guy. They play pretty good. Huh? Uh, Tampa. I got to get to the Green Bay. They always play. They got good. Pretty, they play pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, good corner, man. I would say rookie year. My rookie year, Dallas, when I played. Jones, he was pretty good. Uh, who else was really good? Tampa, pretty good. You went for ten for one sixty three and a touchdown against Tampa a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, that, so. that day they wasn't that good, but <laughs> they be usually good. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean are honestly two of the better younger cornerback teams in the NFL right now. I would I'll agree take with Carlton you there. Davis on my team any day. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, let's talk about some of these. You know who I want to talk about is Jerry Judy, you know, another yeah. Alabama receiver that's playing in the NFL. I recently uh, was in on an interview with Xavier Howard, and Xavier Howard was raving about Jerry Judy. This guy can create separation with anybody. He ran a slant that spinned him around. What is the ceiling for Jerry Judy, man? Because he has not had a ton of help from the quarterback position there. Denver has seen a lot of inaccurate passes his way, but this guy can separate in a similar way to you. I don't know. I don't know who's better there. It's up to you to debate, but uh, Jerry Judy's playing he well. He can have it. I ain't. He can have it. I just ball. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's my little bro. He can have it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, man, I just, the ceiling is, there's no ceiling. You know what I'm saying? For me, yeah. 
I think he's gonna win every rep. Mm -hmm. That's how we think. We're gonna win every rep. He needs he I don't wanna, you know, get into what they got going over there. But yeah, he, yeah. He's gonna he's gonna be fine. He's gonna be totally fine. He's yeah. a baller, natural baller. It doesn't really matter the situation. He just, you know, they, they you know, they gotta get their things going over there, but he's gonna be there's no worries with him. Only a couple only, only a couple more questions for you, Calvin, then we'll let you go on New Year's Day. Mary, uh happy new year, by the way, twenty twenty one. Um appreciate it, Cindy. Of course, man. Uh, how how much do you think your role changes? And, and honestly, Coach Brock spoke to this and said it's just opportunity, really. But how much do you think your role changes when Julio Jones is out? And you've stepped up big time after time, game after game, when Julio Jones has missed with injuries. Does your role change significantly? Are you running you know, different routes? And something I've noticed this year is that you're running, on average, according to PFF's charting data, deeper routes on average. And your average depth of target has increased. Like, you're pushing the ball. They're pushing the ball downfield to you. Is that... Some of that because you're filling in for Julio Jones' shoes and chasing those big plays. I'm interested to know how much your role does change when he is out. Uh, to me, I don't think that much. Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of stay where I'm at for the last three years, but uh, I don't, I don't, not too much. Yeah, no, not too much. Gotcha. All right, man. Well, that's that's all I had for you, man. I really appreciate you taking side the time after practice and, and jumping on the call. We'll have to get back into it maybe in the offseason as we look ahead to 2021. But best of luck moving forward. I hope this new year is fantastic for you. Thanks again. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth are teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field, too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that's happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Moose Fit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your Moose Fit membership and a Moose Fit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire based on the information provided. In the questionnaire, your Moose Fit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. MooseFit is well-equipped to help provide you with daily workouts to help you reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use the code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month at MooseFit. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or on their website, www.moosefit.co, not com.co. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription access and... One year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new bettors better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. My goodness, interviews with both Brock and Ridley 
in a lot of ways turned into the Julio Jones podcast because both, both those guys had so many good things to say about Julio Jones. But man, working on a piece right now for Calvin Ridley about how sustainable this third-year production is, I'm feeling very good about Calvin Ridley being that receiver for the Atlanta Falcons moving forward. Until next time, guys, make sure you rate, review, and like the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 Drafts. 